Hello and welcome to Thrive, the podcast about how people are working with water, land and ecosystems to make a sustainable food future. In this episode, we've got a report from Northern Myanmar, a project funded by the CGIAR Research Program on Water, Land and Ecosystems recently started up there, and filmmaker Doug Varshol made the first of several planned trips to document the work on the ground. Here's Doug's report. I'm here in the city of Maichina, in northern Myanmar, the capital of Kachin State, just a few miles south of the headwaters of the Irrawaddy River. It's the start of the rainy season. Machina is a fascinating city. To the west, about 60 miles, are Miramar's famous jade mines. And to the east, less than 25 miles or so, is China. Although relatively calm now, the city is in the middle of a conflict zone where an uneasy truce exists between armed forces of the government and the ethnic Kachin Independence Army. There are checkpoints with soldiers everywhere. I'm visiting a just-started-up regional project funded by the CGIAR Research Program on Water, Land and Ecosystems. The project looks at conflict and natural resource management and is led by Dr. Oliver Springate-Baginski, a forestry lecturer from the UK's University of East Anglia. We are exploring the relationship between the conflict and the conflict economy and natural resource and environmental issues, how resources are managed or mismanaged or unmanaged, how the uh, society uh, suffers from that mismanagement, how livelihoods are affected, sometimes undermined. That's Oliver. He's teamed up with an energetic group of young Myanmar field researchers, both women and men. We have two main teams. We have um, Shalom Foundation, who our project liaison is Ong Sen, and Shalom Foundation have been working on peace building and uh, trying to protect the uh, interests of the citizens in the context of the conflict. And there's also colleagues from Friends of Wildlife, Um Min Ong, and his field team who work on relationship between biodiversity and uh, local communities in rural areas. Oliver, let's start with the Irrawaddy. It's the country's most important river. Many people depend upon it for fish, irrigation and transport. It flows from north to south, the full length of the country. Why did you guys just focus on the north? Yeah, that's a good question. So why is the north important? There's a few reasons. One is it's the it's maybe a third or more of the catchment area of the river. It's where much of the flow starts. When it rains, it rains heavily in the north, and then the flows are used in the dry zone to irrigate. So it's an important, it's a major part of the river basin, and it's a war zone. And the war means that it's probably the least well-managed part. The combatants in the war, using the combat as a pretext to extract timber, 
So a lot of the forests have been cleared, uh, which leads to hydrological problems, flooding, uh, lower dry zone flows, etc. There's a lot of problems in the society because of the conflict, and we sort of hope that through working on improved environmental governance, we can start to reduce grievances and build peacetime governance structures. The first thing Oliver and his team will do is develop a series of survey questions designed to understand how villagers relate to the local landscape and natural resources. We're thinking of three lines of approach. The first line of approach is to look at what's actually happening in villages, how individual people's livelihoods, individual conditions are affected by environmental problems. The second approach is to explore in technical detail more clearly where these problems are coming from, what are the, what's the genesis of the problems separate from the village experience of them. And then thirdly, we'll gather that information and present it to policymakers and try and work with policymakers in a sort of um, action research mode to develop improved policies to support the reforms and the improved governance that would hopefully, hopefully alleviate some of these problems. Now that's interesting. So essentially you're going to put all the natural resource problems into one basket, so to speak, and then present it to the local authorities. But let me take you back a step. This conflict, where does that fit in? Who exactly are the combatants? And why are they fighting? It's a complicated story and I don't know the whole you know, details, but what I do understand is that the moment when independence was being won from the British in 1947 was a moment when Aung San, the leader of the Burma independence movement, agreed with ethnic areas that they would receive federal powers. Under the British, Kachin, Chin, Shan, a few other areas, uh, Karen areas, had received favorable, relatively favorable treatment to avoid conflicts, to, to minimize the difficulties of controlling the colony. So at independence, those ethnic areas wanted to maintain their relative autonomy. Aung San, who would have been the president if he wasn't assassinated in a political wrangle soon after, he agreed that there would be a, a federalism, that's called the Pangalong Agreement. After independence, the new government didn't really honour that, and certainly after 1962, with the first coup, uh, it was forgotten, and the war became particularly bad in the 80s and 90s. There was a, a sort of a tactical ceasefire in the early 2000s, which broke down in, I believe, 2011. So there's been an on-off um, conflict for 50, 60 years here. About three days into my visit, Oliver and the team have developed their draft survey and are eager to test it out. So everybody jumps onto a bus and heads out into the field. The first village we come to is called Limyang. It was settled some years ago with people displaced by fighting further to the east. Shalom Foundation's Unsan. Lamyang village is located in the eastern side of Aravadi. And now we are here for the, uh, our research. Uh, the village is like uh, the, the number of household, the total number of household is uh, 300. So uh, we can say uh, this village is big. 
most of their occupation for uh, living is uh, farming. They also have community forests, and they can also uh, get uh, forest products like uh, edible fruit, vegetables. The village at first seems prosperous, but it soon becomes apparent there's some problems with its community forest. We've come to the edge of the Lamyang village where there's a large banana plantation. The area used to be forest. Uh, about 15 or 20 years ago, a local businessman was able to take over the area. Subsequently, about five years ago, he sold the land on to Chinese banana farmers who have converted the ex-forest into a large banana production area for export to China. They're using, as we can see in front of us, several different sorts of agrochemicals, which some of which are highly toxic, which are killing the livestock and uh, affecting the health of local people to an uh, unknown extent. So uh, the whole plantation is illegal because they don't have formal legal right to be here, to be using the land for this purpose, it's forest land. Uh, so the village have a grievance, they've lost their land, they've lost their forest, which is previously uh, used for local grazing, for uh, firewood and uh, forest products. The next day we visit another village, and it has even more problems. It's a dam relocation village. People were forcibly moved here four or five years ago because of the planned Mitsong Dam, a Chinese mega dam which has subsequently been put on hold. So we've come out today to the relocation village. They complain about several aspects of this relocation village. It's been built on wasteland effectively, very thin soil, it floods regularly from a passing river. They can have built very substandard houses, the roofs blow off in storms, water comes through, they shake in strong winds. A particular concern is there's no farmland to grow their food, so they have to go back to their villages they've been evicted from to cultivate. That creates hostility from the authorities who write to them, you should not be here. Recently they were asked to sign a piece of paper releasing any claim on their old villages, which they refused to sign because they said we were, we were evicted with the assurance that we could still come back until the, until the land was underwater. They bitterly resent and regret losing their, what they see now as relatively uh, secure livelihoods in their old villages. Over the next six months, the plan is for the team to fan out and survey more villages within the immediate area. What we expect to do is to put together a story from each of the villages. What's happened there and what are the details? What's happened to who? You know, what have they lost or what have they been obstructed from doing? Um, how livelihood resources are or aren't managed in a more or less sustainable way? Um, who is getting the benefits from these resources. So we want to get a very detailed picture uh, of some field realities. Having got that picture, we want to convey it to policymakers in a, in a way that would hopefully lead to some improvement in policy. 
My last question. How do you think Miramar's upcoming election for national as well as state representatives is going to impact your project? It may be that after November 2015, we have a very different uh, complexion to the government. So in this project, we are working on the, the assumption that there may be a receptive audience to our policy lobbying, to our policy recommendations. That may not be the case, it may be very difficult, but at least we will document you know, what they should be responding to. If we have a different political complexion to the country, and if we have um, a comprehensive peace agreement and political dialogue, we may have a very receptive audience for the sort of recommendations we'll be generating. And then there's every reason for optimism that we're in a conversation which could last for some years into the future, how to improve what has been fundamentally dysfunctional resource governance till now. With my time up in Machina, I'm not too sorry to leave the armed checkpoints behind. But I do come away impressed with the ambition of this natural resource management project, and certainly with Oliver's young and eager teammates, very much the symbol of the new Myanmar. These women and men are determined to catalogue the plight of villagers dependent on the land in the heart of a conflict zone. And with the new elections coming up, with any kind of luck, they just might be in the perfect position to catch the new government's ear and help make a difference. Doug Varshall, ending his report on the prospects for more sustainable management of natural resources in northern Myanmar. This episode of the Thrive Podcast was written and presented by Doug Varshall and produced by me, Jeremy Churfus. You can find more information on the project along with films and photos from Doug's trip with Oliver to Kachin State on our website at wle.cgiar.org slash thrive. We'd love to know what you thought of the podcast. You can leave a comment on the website or tweet us using the hashtag ThrivePodcast. The website's also where you can go for more information about this project and all the work of the CGIAR Research Programme on Water, Land and Ecosystems. For now, though, thanks for listening, and until the next time, goodbye.